Yes and no. Two seemingly simple responses that can have lifelong implications. In 2022, each of us will face a myriad of decisions. Do I listen to my in-car navigation or do I know better? What will I eat for dinner? According to Psychology Today, it's been suggested that we can make anything up to 35,000 decisions in a day, both conscious and unconscious decisions. But what guides the decisions that you make? In 2022, as it lays before us as a blank canvas, will you go with the flow like a leaf bobbing along on a stream? Or have you? Will you look to 2022 as an opportunity to live with purpose? To chart a course and to say yes and no to things that help to achieve those goals. Let me pray. Jesus, as we start a new year, we recognise that you are above and beyond time. But in our time time um, sensitive nature we recognize that with the passing sands of time through the hourglass and and all that holds before us lord as we look to 2022 may we look to this year with hope but also with intentionality with purpose that we can look to this year with you in mind and all that you want to do in, through, and for us. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today. Holy Spirit, that you would move amongst us deep to deep, and that through your brooding over us, that you will quicken in us a renewed desire to be in relationship with you as we grow in our understanding of who you are and what you mean for us. Amen. The Road Not Taken by Robert Frost. Two roads diverge in a yellow wood, and I'm sorry I could not travel both and be one traveller. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth, then took the other as just, as fair, and having perhaps the better claim, because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that passing there, had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay, in leaves no step had trodden back. Oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere in ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less travelled by, and that has made all the difference. Whether you're staring at a blank page, a blank career path as you're, you're finishing up in school or at university, 
a blank canvas, a blank year. What we end up with at the end is often influenced by how or what we start with. If you've ever been involved in writing an assignment or a thesis, a poem, doing some form of artwork, or if you've ever ventured into writing a book, then one of the challenges is, what do you include and what do you leave out? But you can imagine what it must have been like for the followers of Jesus as I started to put together the accounts of the life of Jesus and, and started to collate some of that information. While there are multiple accounts of the life of Jesus, there are four that have stood the test of time and the rigours of interrogation to make up the New Testament canon. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And over the next few months, we'll be taking the opportunity to dive into John's gospel as we journey from celebrating Jesus' birth to remembering his life, his death and his resurrection. But before, before we explore John, it's helpful for us to set the scene. The genre of a New Testament gospel is unique in its purpose. While they contain historical facts and events, they're not bound by strict chronology. So they move events around um, in the order of their, their gospel writings to fit their intended purpose. They contain biographical information, but they're not strict biographies of Jesus' life. And so once again, they will pick and they will choose what they include and exclude, which moves them outside of a traditional biography. Similarly, for theology, whilst they will talk about doctrine and information in that regard, they're not a doctrine um, treaty or, or things like of that nature. Tradition identifies Matthew and John as Jesus' disciples or apostles. Mark as a follower who draws much of his material from the apostle Peter. And Luke as a researcher who gives the closest of what we would class as a historical account of the life of Jesus and follows the spread of this Christian movement in the book that we know as Acts. So to understand the four Gospels, imagine that there are four people who report on a traffic accident. Not only will they all give their own recollections of information and the order of what happened, but they're, what they're, um, they're doing is they're being interviewed by different people as well. For one, they're being interviewed by a news reporter. For another, a paramedic another, a police officer, etc. And so what account people give will be based on what they experienced, what they observed or what they were told, and to whom they are talking. Hence why each of the Gospels has a unique feel to them. They are all consistent in their purpose of identifying Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, the rescuer of the world. All four writers are inspired by the one Holy Spirit. They are all written about Jesus, but from different vantage points and are given, giving the account of Jesus to different groups of people. So they write 
with that in mind. Mark is written first in probably the 40 to 50 AD time frame. Luke is written in the early 60s. Matthew is written probably in that decade of the 60s at some point. And John written in the 70s to 80s AD. And so we come to John. I can imagine John as a curator in an art gallery, as he looks over and flicks through in his mind the various scenes of Jesus' life, with both a very close relationship to the subject, Jesus, but also with a flair and an artistic um, uh, engagement with the life of Jesus, a poetic playfulness in his composition of the narrative of Jesus rich in its symbolism and its use of repetition woven throughout. John is deeply aware of and draws from the rich tradition that we know as the Old Testament. It's also reasonable to say that John is aware of the other Gospels as well and has chosen not simply to repeat what the others have said, what has gone before them. John leaves out Information such as the temptation of Jesus, the transfiguration, the Sermon on the Mount, even the Lord's Supper. But there is so much more that he includes that the others omit. John's Gospel is both evocative, it's it's rich in its imagery and its engagement of our senses. And it's also provocative through its continual challenge and a desire to draw out a response to Jesus' words and actions. Time and time again, as we go through John's Gospel, we will see divergent responses of people to Jesus. Acceptance and rejection are placed in contrast with each other. But why? Why does John take this approach as he does? When staring at a blank wall and recalling all the experiences that he had, his observations, his emotions, what drives John to pick up this image and to leave the other behind? To include this account and not the other? We discover the answer in John chapter 20 and 21. You see, throughout the Gospel of John, there is a commitment, there is an intention, a resolve and a purpose that guides John to write his Gospel in the first century and echoes through time and clarity for us today. What others imply, John makes explicit. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, we read these words, The disciple saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these, these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And then a smidge later, John goes on to write in John chapter 21, verses 24 and 25, this disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. Jesus did many other things. 
If they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So John draws from a world of experience and a wealth of a material. And he carefully selects and sorts through the stories and includes this sign, this statement, and compiles them all with a clear purpose in mind. These are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. These are written so that you might believe. More than that, that's not just about coming to belief, as we will discover, the disciple um, comes to be, the, the disciples of Jesus come to believe in um, very early. Sorry, the disciples come to believe in Jesus very early in John's account. But woven through the gospel, they believe again and again. In fact, so intentional, so purposeful is John's focus on the verb believe that while Matthew uses believe around 12 times, Mark around 18 times and Luke approximately 10 times, John uses the word believe around 88 times, more than twice as often as the other three Gospels combined. So do people in John's gospel believe and then stop believing? No. What we discover is that there is a natural progression to believing that we often can misunderstand. And John wants us to never forget how important this progression is, this continuing to believe for us today. Believing in Jesus is not a once-off thing. You make some form of acknowledgement of Jesus as Lord and Saviour. You believe that Jesus is the Son of God who came into our world to save us from our sins and to restore us, um, our broken relationship with Creator God. But that as we learn more, we know more. And that we continue to be in relationship with risen Jesus. We believe more. We trust more. We adjust more and we want to embody more and more of Jesus into our life rather than peeling back the layers in John's eyes believing in Jesus is an interactive lifelong relationship that value adds it's like layers are building, being built up over a pearl, that as long as the pearl is in relationship with the oyster, these layers continue to be added and added and added. We believe that Jesus is not just some poster child of morality and good living. We believe the claims of Jesus as our needed Messiah that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing in Jesus, our life will be irrefutably transformed. And so, John, as an older man, looks back over the years of his life and the path that his life has travelled. 
John reflects on the eternal impact that Jesus has had on his life and what his um, saying yes to Jesus has meant for him. Not just once, but when Jesus calls John to believe some more, John says yes some more. And another layer of believing is added to John's relationship with Jesus. Living with purpose, living with a desire to follow Jesus and the adventure that he calls us on is a life that will be transformed by our willingness to believe. Not just once, but to live with purpose, to to press into this relationship with Jesus over a lifetime of believing and trusting and stepping out in faith in relationship with Jesus again and again. John lived that out. And when it came to writing his account of the life of Jesus, what he included and left out was based on this this purpose that he had in mind, that those who would read John's account of Jesus' life would believe, but would continue to believe Um, in Jesus. You see, purpose influences and changes the way that you live and the decisions that you make. What you say yes to and what you say no to. Jesus lived his life with purpose. And when there were competing desires and demands, Jesus came back to his purpose that guided his life and ministry. The people in Jeremiah's day were called to calibrate their lives with God's plans for them. Looking back and wishing for the way things used to be rather than making the most of the opportunities that God had given them right now. God called his people to live with purpose, not to live in the past. Don't spend your time wishing for things to be the way they were. Make the most of the opportunities God is giving you. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 5 to 7, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the fruit they produce, marry and have children and find spouses for them so that they may have um, many grandchildren. Multiply, don't dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare God continues this message in Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will will be found by you, says the Lord. Today, this year, the call extended to us is to live with purpose, not to look back and to wish for the way things used to be in years gone by.
but to look forward to the opportunities that this year presents us. And just as it did for John, living with purpose will involve choices. What we say yes to and what we say no to. What we value and hold dear and what we allow to pass us by. And when it comes to your believing in Jesus, I wonder, how will your relationship with Jesus be different at the end of 2022 than at the start? In what way will you model to your children and your grandchildren, your nieces and your nephews about the importance of your belief in Jesus? If it's not a priority for you, then why should it be a priority for them? For John, there was purpose in the way he lived as a believer in Jesus and it comes out in the way he writes his account of the life of Jesus. What decisions will you put in place to help make this happen? How will you live with purpose in 2022. As we gather around the Lord's table, I'm reminded of an occasion that Jesus lived with purpose, which which clashed with others. In um, In Luke chapter 9, verses 51 to 62, we read this account. As time drew near for him to ascend to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead of him to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. There was this angst, this wedge between the Samaritans and the Jews and Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went to another village. As they walked along, some people said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed but said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. Let me take care of some household affairs before I start following you. But Jesus said, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and to preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but first let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, Anyone who puts a hand to the plough and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem to face his death and his resurrection. Jesus had firmly in his sights coming to this time that we remember today and the sacrifice that Jesus would make. Some would reject Jesus because of the the purpose that he had. 
Others wanted to have an each-way bet when it comes to following Jesus. But before us are the symbols of purposeful living. Jesus didn't accidentally become the saviour of the world. It wasn't as if, oh well, while I'm here on earth, I might as well do this. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus lived, died and rose again with a singularity of purpose to be our Lord and our Saviour, to be your Lord and your Saviour. But as we will discover in John's Gospel, with each sign, with each symbolic act, there is a call, there is an invitation for us to respond, to believe in this act and to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. I invite those that might be able to help in the distribution of the symbols of Jesus' death his body that he gave for us, his blood that he shed for us. If you'd like to come forward, there's going to be some music played. As the music's played, um, we'll um, hold on to each of these symbols until everyone's served, and then I'll invite us all to eat and drink together. those at home and in the auditorium, I invite you to eat and drink, remembering the singularity of purpose that Jesus came to be your Messiah. Let's eat and drink together. Jesus, we thank you for your love for us that is demonstrated in these symbols of your sacrifice for us to be our Messiah, to be our Saviour, to be our Lord. Amen. Glasses will be collected in the auditorium. Thanks.
So how might we respond today to the things that God's been saying to us? Well, I invite you to maybe choose one of these things to do. There might be something else that God's been laying on your heart. Perhaps you might want to write a prayer of commitment, looking forward to the opportunities that this year presents to you. To take some time, as the music's going to be played in a moment, to, to write a prayer and say, God, as 2022 lays out before me, I commit myself to live with purpose, with li- to live with intentionality for the things that you call for me to do. When it comes to your believing in Jesus, how will your relationship with Jesus be different at the end of 2022 to the start? Perhaps you might want to write a prayer to invite the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom in knowing what to say yes and what to say no to in 2022. Music's going to be played. I invite you to respond to the things that God's been saying to you today. And then after the music's been played in our response time, we'll have an opportunity to sing together again. God bless you. 